Welcome to Blink of an Eye, where we interview thought leaders and deep thinkers on trauma healing wisdom, both ancient and modern, as we learn together with experts from around the world. We also engage in captivating relational conversations with spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in our Dear Louise series. Out of one mom's trauma to integration story, Blink of an Eye brings you a collection of unparalleled and diverse views as we take you on an inspiring and unvarnished look at the true nature of trauma in all our lives. Today's episode is part of our Dear Louise series, where I have the joy of conversing with extraordinary individuals living with spinal cord injury, who both embrace and defy their physical limitations as entrepreneurs, trailblazers, tastemakers, and innovators. Join us as we explore what is possible in spinal cord injury. This episode is sponsored by Blink of an Eye Nonprofit and by Baltimore Mediation. Hello, everyone. I'm Louise Fipsempt, your host of Blink of an Eye podcast and the founder of Blink of an Eye Nonprofit. We all know how life can change in the blink of an eye. Please, Reach out to me at louise at blinkofaneye.org about your experiences with trauma and trauma healing. Our next guest is an extraordinary young 21-year-old man living with spinal cord injury, T4, T5 paraplegia. I met Jayshar Banks at a Life Rolls On event at the beach as he came to have a first ever experience in the ocean surfing. As we talked, I learned he was on the journey of living on his own and figuring out his life, making time to understand the deeper meanings of life and fighting depression post-spinal cord injury. You may not find Jayshar on a Google search, at least not yet, but I think you will find some inspiration today from a resilient and determined young man living into the unwavering spirit of a young survivor trying to figure life out. Despite the challenges life has thrown at him, Shar Banks is emerging as a shining example of not just turning adversity into strength, but forging a path towards a brighter future through a dedication to helping others. Stay tuned as we delve into his remarkable early journey of triumph despite spinal cord injury and his unyielding passion for education and a heartfelt desire to make a difference in the lives of troubled youth. I am blessed to introduce you to Jashar Banks. Jashar is a resilient 21-year-old living with T4-T5 paraplegia. He was paralyzed when a substance-impaired driver hit him on his motorcycle in 2017. Despite a traumatic brain injury and amnesia, he pursued college ambitiously in 2018. As a first-generation student, 
and a survivor. He obtained his bachelor's degree, fueled by a passion for learning and a desire to rise above depression. Now, aiming for graduate school, Jashar is determined to become a developmental psychologist, supporting troubled youth. He volunteers with Rutgers 4-H and the Children's Special True Grit Program. While navigating the job search, he has faced rejection due to his disability disclosure, but he remains undeterred, wanting to make a difference for others. Welcome, Jashar. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm definitely uh, excited to go along with this uh, podcast and share a little bit more about myself and hopefully inspire others. Well, we are just delighted you're with us, and I'm wondering if I may call you Shar. Definitely, I kind of enjoy Shar. As I was growing up, Shar Shar is my little nickname. You know, family, definitely my mother would call me, and so kind of brings back some memories of my upbringing. Well, I loved hearing a little bit about your upbringing when you and I met on the beaches of New Jersey at the Life Rolls On event when those living with spinal cord injury were getting back in the water. And you were one of those trepid souls. The smile did not leave my face that whole event. You know, I've never surfed before my injury or after. And so that new experience definitely was, uh, you know, just a good experience, you know, reminding me that that life still has a lot more to offer. And that's what captured my attention with you because of that very resilient (laughs) and exploratory, curious spirit of yours. And you also had shared with me and found out a little bit more about you, how you're working in an elementary school at Brooks Crossing, and how you had spent the previous two years as an EMT with the Rosell Fire Department. I mean, what motivates you to do that kind of service work? Uh, so I was a, a EMT for a couple of years before being recruited by the Rosell Fire Department. I was EMT for about three years. Uh, and then 2015, I graduated at the fire academy, did that up to my injury in uh, 2017. But I think it's it's more or less just, I enjoy leaving things better than I found them. And so, you know, I might not be able to improve or correct everything, but I know I, I have a passion for giving everything my all. And, uh, you know, just hopefully seeing the better in, in life and everyone. And, you know, I kind of enjoyed public service because it was kind of that purpose in life. It fulfilled a lot of my lower emotions and help me better myself and others as well along the way. So I think I am still continuing that passion, hopefully as a psychologist, you know, all goes through. And, you know, as you shared a little bit earlier, I'm having trouble grabbing the experience and building up my resume because certain positions I'm trying to be a behavioral technician at the moment. And they feel that if a child has an outburst, you know, emotional outburst, I have to restrain them from harming themselves or others, or maybe eloping and taking off and running away, I might not be capable of doing that. You know, it's really amazing how those living with spinal cord injury help those of us who are not really push the boundaries on our problem solving and how it is that we might look at things differently. So if, you know, chasing after um, runaway kids is part of the everyday job, how is it that you might do something that is equally important for gathering a kid back while you might not be running after them? That's a curious uh, conundrum and also challenge to problem solve. What ideas have you given those in that field that you're very interested in pursuing to get around that obstacle? That's definitely a great question. Thank you. And so I, I enjoy that. You know, 
I don't want everything to be easy. You know, kind of, I enjoy the battles, the struggles sometimes. And so currently working at an elementary school, some of my students are on the spectrum or do have, you know, outbursts. And so I know one of my students is definitely nonverbal and hard to communicate with in that sense. So I had to learn how to still talk because I think that's a lesson within itself. You know, there's, it's more just than vocabulary. We can communicate just gestures and, you know, signals and a lot of other ways. So the student that often has taken off and ran outside of the, you know, whatever cafeteria or gym or uh, classroom, I've learned to either try to obstruct those pathways, you know, maybe position myself to keep that child from doing so, or using the child enjoys high fives. And so I've done creative, not just a regular high five. I've done big high five, small high five, circle high five. And um, as they start to, you know, venture off, I'm like, hey, wait, high five. And then like, see if I can share something. You were doing this really great. Can we go back to doing this? And The art of distraction. <laughs> yes. So <laughs> and creativity. It's been very helpful. And I enjoy it. Yeah. Again, it's problem solving. You know, we had an issue and I was like, let's not just let that keep us down in whatever problems we're in. Let's go above and beyond that. And so high fives are, you know, certain let's draw, let's do these arts and crafts. Let's make a paper airplane, which even led me to another activity of positive planes. You know, I did, hey, let's write some positive messages like you did well today or, you know, you look great or whatever, you know, positive uh, affirmations we can offer and we'll throw it to a landing zone and other students can go and pick it up. And mm-hmm. so that's another activity I've now done with students for mindfulness exercises. Mm-hmm, lovely. So a number of creative games that you're able to make up and being in, in some ways on their eye level, but also raising your long arms ahead of you. You, you <laughs> can go high, you can go low with the big range. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And with elementary school students at work, you know, if they got a little bit older, maybe like high school, a high five would be, but you know, average high five being in a wheelchair myself, but uh, still the, the creative side. And I like that. You know, I'm thinking about this work with children and how it is that your life changed in the blink of an eye mm-hmm. when you weren't, you know, too much older than a teenager when it happened. And I'm wondering if you're willing to go back and share with us about that injury as we kind of track you and how it is that you are where you are today. Can we talk about what happened back in 2017? Of course, yes. So I was riding my motorcycle, luckily for a couple of friends. And I say luckily because they reminded me of that night. But some guy and later discovered was on a whole bunch of illegal substances because that hospital mishandled our information and shared that with my family. But we'll get to that. So I was riding my motorcycle, which I really enjoyed, you know, just different feeling, that breeze, that air. And we were just driving without destination. I don't recall. I think we went down to like Jersey City and we were on our way back home, you know, on one and nine, some guy jumped over the median. My friends told me I saw him in the last moment, not expecting some guy to, you know, be jumping over the median. I tried to avoid him, but I hit him, hit the median and was thrown onto the other side of the median. And so I'm now a T4, T5 paraplegic because of the accident that night. And so... That occurred on May 22nd, 2017. I just estimate and say six months because I woke up in my grandparents' house because they lived in a ranch, which was you know easier for me to get in and out of and move around because of my wheelchair you know, status. And I woke up just questioning what was going on. And so I don't recall my time in the hospital, my time in Kessler for you know inpatient care, adjusting to my new lifestyle. Uh, I kind of just woke up one day in my grandparents' house and then I was feeling like it was a dream because, you know, I, I wasn't living there and I now have this new life to kind of adjust to. And so I was touching myself and I was like, wait, this feels a little bit more realistic than a dream. Everyone's here, you know, family, friends, my significant other at the time was all there and present. But I was like, 
kind of just weird. And so I think I had a traumatic brain injury with the injury as well. So I have everything in my body is, I'm pretty, I joke around and I say I'm like Robocop because T4, T5 is my level of injury, but T3 to T10 was fractured or replaced. I know T7 was completely obliterated. And so they put metal caging in, in that portion of my spine. I had cervical fractures as well. Luckily, it was just a vertebrae and not the spinal cord within itself. Could you maybe just explain for our listeners uh, what actually it means, all the T's, where they are in the body <laughs> and what that is? Okay, yes. So having a little bit of medical background as well, I kind of just start grunting off and assuming everyone knows, you know, what I know as well, I guess. We have C, T, L, and S, which is the neck portion, the basically a little bit below the neck, chest down to your waist. And then you have the lumbar region and then the sacral region, which is really not used there, left over from ancestors years and years ago. But my T level is T4, T5 is a little bit below. Best way to explain is like your nipple, your chest line. It's a little bit below that. So I'm also incomplete, which the spine, I, I'm learning about it, especially more since my injury. It's kind of weird how it's so small, but if a little touch somewhere affects a major area, so I'm incomplete. I have sensations and definitely involuntary movement. So I have spasms and things like that below the level of my injury. Um, and also a little bit of voluntary movement. So if I'm sitting without gravity or, you know, if I'm sitting off the edge of my bed and my legs are just floating, I can tighten my core and tell which leg I want to do a slight fidget. Uh, other than that, I'll have spasms if I'm sitting too long and my legs get irritated or, uh, you know, something hot or too cold touches or I just haven't stretched well enough for the day. My legs will, you know, jerk around and spaz themselves. Yeah, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And I know you are also telling us with regard to the injury, after you were explaining the T's, then, as you were saying, going sort of through your body, something then, it wasn't the spinal cord that was fractured or severed, thank goodness, but you are an incomplete as you began to speak about that. Yeah, so... My neck portion was the encasing. It's the spine was closest the spinal cord to hopefully prevent, you know, injury and, and damage. But being an incomplete, my spinal cord was damaged, but not completely cut off at the T4, T5 level. So however, maybe I hit the median or maybe, you know, me hitting the ground off my motorcycle hit or damaged my spinal cord just enough that I can't stand up and walk or do other things of that nature. But I do have sensation and slight control over my, or below my level of injury. So you're really talking about in the spinal cord injury world, bowel and bladder. You have yes. some sensation in your uh, legs, mm -hmm. but also being incomplete sensation in your bowel and bladder. Of course. So when I have to use the bathroom, I get that, you know, the same feeling that, you know, I would before my injury and I can hold it for maybe up to 10 minutes. I've never really timed it, but it's kind of more of a, once I have to go to the bathroom, I know to go and find the nearest stall or bathroom and then, you know, urinate or, you know, release whatever bowels I need to. And then the rest of your body above your waist, your arms, your hands, your chest, and then, of course, your neck, your head, that is all still functioning as it was before the accident. But it's even better below. than before. Uh, I, mean, <laughs> even I, better I like going to the gym. Love and it. so I've never benched 315 uh, before. I've always been, you know, I enjoyed the gym, but I'm now benching 315 Whoa! pounds. And so I am uh, Amazing. <laughs> definitely, yes, definitely uh, proud of myself. That's so great. So does exercise fit into like your daily regimen? Absolutely. I feel like when I miss out on going to the gym, whether it's because of work or life or school at the time, you know, I felt 
down in the sense. I, I feel like I still had more to do that day. And also it was a little rough for me going to sleep. I just had too much energy, I guess. And so, you know, I get a lot of satisfaction from going to the gym overall in a lot of areas of my life. I think it's just improving. And so again, pushing past failure to prove it doesn't exist. You know, at one point I couldn't bench 315 pounds. And the moment that I put it up just one time for one rep, I felt so great. And then two reps, three reps, and I'm going up to now, Mm. I can do about eight good reps before I need a break. And, you know, it feels even great. And it'll feel better once I'm doing, you know, 10 reps and so forth. And ultimately, I think I want to stop at 425, but we'll see when I get there. (laughs) (laughs) That's a massive amount. Yeah, well, I wish you well on that. We'll pause now in support of our sponsors who support Blink of an Eye. We'll be right back. Blink of an Eye nonprofit is filling a gap nationwide in response to spinal cord injury trauma for families in the first hours and days of injury. With fewer than 20 hospitals in the country having SEI expertise, Blink of an Eye has navigators who themselves have been there as SEI survivors and who are trained in relational approaches to trauma, who are available 24-7 to support families, empowering them on their journeys, navigating their lives, and interacting with medical staff for the first 30 days. The nonprofit's mission is to transform the SCI crisis experience into an extraordinary one, despite the devastation. When you learn of a newly injured SCI family, call Blink of an Eye on their toll-free number, 1-844-41-BLINK. You can also learn more and get involved with Blink of an Eye at www.blinkofaneye.org. Blink of an Eye is sponsored by Baltimore Mediation. Since 1993, Baltimore Mediation has been leading the way in a relational approach to conflict and problem solving. They are national leaders in teaching and providing fully immersive and experiential online training in mediation and conflict transformation skills. Register for the next course at www. Dot baltimoremediation.com. The quality of your interactions at work, at home, and in your daily life will be transformed. And you will create more well-being for yourself and others. Better process, better outcome. Baltimore Mediation. And now, back to the show. You know, it occurs to me, I'm aware in the world of spinal cord injury and having the privilege of speaking to so many of those living with spinal cord injury that sleep is just a real issue. And for those who are not able to use their upper bodies, the body doesn't get exhausted in the way that someone who's running around, walking around, up and down all day long has. And so here you are really also using exercise to allow you to sleep well. Is that a truism or not so much true? Yeah, I didn't think of that until you just mentioned that me being on wheels, sometimes maneuverability is a little bit easier in that sense because I just do one push and I can go a lot further and maybe I'm not as active because I'm sitting down a lot more throughout the day. So maybe that is why at night when I haven't gone to the gym, I do feel like a little bit more, a little bit more energy. So that's a good point. Yeah. I think that the gym does help me sleep a lot better. Mm, yeah. It's just occurring to me as we talk. <laughs> you know, I found you quite remarkable when we chatted because you 
launched into telling me all about how you grew up in the Bronx. And I was asking you then, how has that, if at all, shaped your recovery from spinal cord injury, your experiences growing up in the Bronx as a kid? I think it did both good and bad. And so the Bronx, my area where I grew up, Bronx overall isn't really a great area, but I was definitely in the lower areas of the Bronx as well. And so I think the bad portion of my recovery was because I wasn't allowed to show vulnerabilities. You know, the weak, the strongest survive, the weak get bullied and picked on or I didn't know how to express emotions. You know, I still haven't been taught my, you know, from, I got raised by a single parent. My siblings and I were both all raised by a single parent. And so I wasn't taught from my mother, at least on how to disclose any of these emotions. And it wasn't until, you know, I experienced this low of emotion that I learned how to do so. Because as I grew up, mm-hmm. I started, I'm an avid reader and enjoy reading. And I learned how to go ups and downs, go through ups and downs, but I've never experienced something as low as my injury or, you know, overcoming these obstacles. And I still go through, you know, lower emotions, but I think the Bronx didn't assist me in doing so because I wasn't ever allowed to open up and share any of this as I was growing up. Hmm. So are, are you saying your spinal cord injury was like the portal that allowed you to be vulnerable in a way that then would help propel you forward when you had not had the experience a positive experience as a boy being vulnerable Definitely. other than being pummeled or bullied? I think more than ever, you know, I, I tried to, as I grew up, open up more, but I've never had to deal with something as significant as this to open up about this. And so everything from asking for help, you know, I, I still have trouble doing that to this day. You know, my whole upbringing uh, so far, I wasn't allowed to ask for help because, you know, then it was seen as a sign of weakness and I wasn't strong enough to do it myself. I needed somebody else to do it. And uh, I think my injury definitely helped me welcome help a lot more. Mm. Sounds like there's a request that you might have for a lot of mothers who might be listening in for how they might foster the ability for their boys to show vulnerability as boys. I think the greatest part is leading by example. You know, my mother being a single mother and also in the same area that, you know, we were growing up in, I think followed a lot of that and society didn't influence her in a positive way. So I think positive influences are are definitely a necessity throughout life. And so the parents, the mother, the dad, or whoever's involved in that child's life can help them by them expressing the vulnerabilities and opening up those conversations. And uh, definitely those conversations are a good part. So sometimes just asking the why and follow up, you know, hey, how are you doing today? Especially if they seem a little down, but on good days as well. Hey, look, you look really happy. Like, why was your day so great? Or, you know, you do look a little sad. Can you open about that? Or you look normal. Can we just talk about, you know, how's your day going? I'm thinking as a relational mediator uh, and trainer, teacher, that we have an expression about vulnerability and that it takes vulnerability to be strong. And one of the greatest strengths is to know how to be and live into being vulnerable. Yes, for sure. It's facing your fears. If you know you don't have any, then you're just foolish. And I quote that as, you know, kind of stupidity, you know, to not have fears. So to be courageous, you have to face those fears and overcome those. Mm-hmm. So fears, and you mentioned earlier how it is that you have stayed positive and gotten involved in service to also beat depression. Is there any correlation between fear and depression for you? 
yes. I think I fear not being enough or not being at my best. And I think that's why I reach out for opportunities to show improvements. And so, you know, I'm never perfect. I don't think there's a such thing, but I'm always at my best. So even if I'm on a, you know, I'm sick and I'm down and I can't get out of bed, it's still going to be my best in bed. Or if I'm great and healthy and at my normal, I'm going to be at my best then. And so I think I fear not being at my best. And so that helps me always strive for improvements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, gosh. What would it look like for you or feel like for you if you were not at your best? There's definitely moments where I still experience emotions. You know, I'm not proud and happy all the time. And so when I'm not at my best, I definitely go into a saddened phase or a little bit, you know, upset about why am I not giving it my all? And then I acknowledge the first step to solving a problem is acknowledging a problem. So I acknowledge why am I not giving it my all? What's preventing me or stopping me from doing so? Mm. And then I resolve that. You know, I solve that problem. You know, I seek solutions like how can I be at my best or what do I need to do? Or for example, you know, me acquiring a position right now that will better fit my education. So I'm trying to use my bachelor's degree as I pursue grad school. Uh, what's preventing me is scenarios where I might have to deal with children eloping or being physical, combative, and things of that nature. So I'm now looking for other careers in the same kind of interest that would help build my resume, but also ensure that I'm at my best and doing something different while helping others. And so I acknowledge the problem of maybe I can't, mm-hmm. you know, work that position, but there's certainly other positions that I'll be, you know, a good fit for. Or there was actually where I recently did an interview and was all actually offered the job before I had to pass the physical portion. They have contacted me now and I'm looking to hear back hopefully by this week that they were, you know, they brought up a couple of issues about, you know, me not being able to restrain a child or me having to chase down a child. And I brought up the same facts that I, you know, maybe I shared a little bit earlier about me blocking pathways or ensuring that doors are closed or that they're not close enough to run away and actually get harmed. For example, they're not going to be able to access a street if, you know, they do elope. They would solely be in the building roaming around and we'll have to search and find them. They're also worried about me being in a wheelchair. If I'm pushed off my wheelchair or, you know, somehow not in my wheelchair, they can use that as a weapon. And I said, well, you know, that's a great point. And immediately I thought, well, how about if I just put a seatbelt across my lap? And then even if I fall over or I'm pushed over, I won't be separated from my wheelchair. And so I did acknowledge the problem. And then I feel like I offered solutions to those problems. Mm, And solutions that also required that vulnerability and strength. Just a beautiful example of your determination. It's very uplifting. And it's also just amazing, you know, from my vantage point as an able-bodied person, the amount of pivoting that those living with spinal cord injury do and have the capacity to do. You know, like, hey, I wanted to be this, I'm pivoting, and now I'm going to go do that. You know, I used to be able to do this, I can't, but I can do this, and I can do it really well. It's just such a resiliency of spirit. You know, you had quite a determination to enroll in college and also coming from your background that didn't have that model in your family when you were so life-altered. Quite remarkable. What were the most significant challenges you faced when you made that transition? I think the biggest, which I'm sure many first-generation students face, is not having a mentor you know, as close as we'd like, you know, for example, it would have been easy if I came home and said, you know, called to my mother or so and said, hey, Ma, look, like today was really a stressful day. How do you overcome these challenges in college? Or even ask for certain things like financial aid, like how do I apply for FAFSA 
or ask for grants and scholarships. So that was definitely challenging. I think it was difficult in a good way, right? I appreciate these challenges, but I think it was definitely rough being a first generation student, not being, you know, accustomed to having those ideas or aspirations to achieve for more. I think that was my biggest challenge of the imposter syndrome of, mm-hmm. am I really a good fit for, you know, what I want to be? And in a way, I'm still facing some of those challenges because as I apply for jobs, being told as I share my resume or speak over the phone and things of that nature, I'm the perfect candidate. And then as soon as I kind of acknowledge my disability or show up for the actual interview, the look on the face or the questions all to, you know, immediately change to something else and, you know, just the tone alters and things like that. So I'm still overcoming those fears of being an imposter in these scenarios. I'd like to ask you about the modeling and that you didn't have modeling or mentoring. What did you do, if anything, to replace that? I sought elsewhere. So, you know, I've always seek leadership and mentors throughout life. I, I feel like a lot of my challenges as I was growing up was because I didn't have mentors. And so I learned that, hey, you know, wait, it's great to ask for advice. And so the college time, I just said, hey, let me go to this, this offices for students to request help and assistance. And I would just go there and say, hey, look, you know, I need uh, some advice on this. Can you offer any? Or even just going to, you know, the study, the student activity centers and just studying there or going to learning centers and actually studying with tutors they had, asking peers, asking uh, professors, just anyone I could reach out to that was willing to offer any advice. I was an open book and just taking in whatever knowledge I could. Mm -hmm. And that helped me a lot throughout my college college time. And even as I'm uh, pursuing grad school, you know, in my undergraduate studies, I've been really involved with a lot of peers in their grad school, you know, whether they're going for a master's or the PhD, I've built friendships along the way. And you know, still friends to this day where we just reach out and I ask questions as well, but we're also friends. So we just socialize and hang out and relieve stress together, but also being able to say, Hey, look, you know, I have a question about how do I do this or how do you do this and get that advice and leadership in those roles. Marvelous. It's really quite an example for any of us and all of us, how important it is that we need each other and that we reach out and have those relationships and constantly learning. You know, clearly you are a lifelong learner and the road of spinal cord injury can be isolating and can be lonely. And so to keep going and keep asking and putting yourself in places where there are Mm -hmm. other people whom you can talk with, that's really, really lovely. You know, I'm thinking, Shar, when I first met you, it's because I saw the book sitting on your lap at the beach, no less. And it was one of my favorite books. It was Bessel van der Kolk's the body keeps a score. Yes. Yeah. Awesome book. What was attracting you to that book? Again, I enjoy being a lifelong learner. And so I have a huge library in my apartment. That's another area that I seek mentors and advice. I'm always asking, hey, what's a good book that you've read from anyone, you know, strangers or friends and family? I'm like, hey, what's a good book that you've read and you've recommended? So someone recommended that book to me one day and it definitely was worth it. I think it's about, you know, connecting all of life brain and heart, you know, how we emotionally think sometimes, how we logically think sometimes, and giving it a reason to it. And I think I'm always trying to discover the why to everything. And so that book is definitely very helpful for anyone in life, but especially if you're, you kind of have a same mentality to discover the why. Yeah, it's pretty incredible as it relates to any type of trauma, including 
you know, trauma from surgery, a medical trauma, let alone a motor vehicle accident like you have survived, and how it is that mentally and emotionally we navigate that, but that energy of trauma resides in yes. the cells, in the, our cellular structure, in our organs, and how it is that we can, using mental and emotional capacity, but also physical movements, begin to really move that trauma forward out of our bodies. Absolutely. Like you said, it's, sometimes it's held back. And so sometimes physical movement is a great way to release it and let it out. Yeah, another reason for going to the gym and working to, you know, lift 425 <laughs> One day, it's, I'm, I'm striving for it. Yes, absolutely. I'm going to be really proud when I hit that day. And then once I do, I'm like, you know what? You know, five something doesn't sound so bad. We'll see if I cut the limit, you know, draw the line uh, somewhere. But yeah, <laughs> you know, something about uh, the work of trauma and trauma healing. And for those who have experienced paralysis is how important touch is for the body and for trauma healing. It's important for all of us, but especially for any of us who have experienced some trauma, whether it's, you know, massage or whether it's, a, you know, warm baths or different kinds of things that can soothe the body and allow the central nervous system to relax and come back to homeostasis, actually. Do you find that you have other methods after reading Bessel van der Kolk's book about your own moving forward in trauma healing? Yes. I think that, like you shared, I think the touch is definitely helpful. Massages, I actually go to uh, a massage parlor for that reason. Just yoga. I started doing yoga as well since my injury. I never had done it before and reached out and was like, you know, let me try this and just mindfulness. So just being one with oneself and kind of just exploring all of me, you know, because there's still areas of me that I haven't learned and I'm willing to learn. And so opening up and allowing those opportunities through just life is definitely really important. Mm. As we conclude our conversation with Jay Shar Banks, we're left with profound insights and invaluable lessons learned from his incredible journey. Shar's journey reminds us that no matter how challenging life's circumstances may be, and no matter what we have gone through, it is hard in our life's path, including poverty, ridicule, bullying, and spinal cord injury. The human spirit has an astonishing capacity to rise above adversity. From his harrowing hit-and-run motor vehicle accident in 2017 to the pursuit of his college education in 2018, Shar's unquenchable desire to better his life illustrates the power of determination and hope. Even plagued by depression, he's bounced back and wants to never give up on his dreams. He exemplifies the idea that our past traumas may define our future, but not limit our future. We have choices that shape a meaningful life. Char's volunteer work with organizations like Rutgers 4-H and the Children's Specialized True Grit Program underscores the importance of service and the positive influence that serving others can have on the trauma healing journey. His dedication is a reminder that 
by reaching out to help others, we create a ripple effect of positive change and pay it forward. Shar's passion for learning and his commitment to overcoming generational obstacles as well as personal obstacles to obtain formal degrees serves as a testament to the transformative power of education to elevate our lives and education as a means to elevate the lives of others. As a first-generation student, he has broken barriers in his own generational lineage. And as a spinal cord-injured young man, he is pushing his own boundaries in the pursuit of formal education. His aspirations to become a developmental psychologist so he can give back and support troubled youth highlight the enduring impact of adversity and the revelation that the setbacks in our lives do not have to set us back for too long, but rather the lived experience can be the light on a new path to pursue. We'll check back in with Shar in a few years to see how he has brought his lived experience to others to better their lives. As we close, I want to also note that Shar's road to recovery has not been without societal challenges. The rejection he has faced in his job search due to his disability disclosure reminds us of the pressing need for not only inclusivity and diversity in our workplaces, but compassion and vision for what is possible. His experience is a stark reminder that we must continue to advocate for a world where every individual is recognized for their abilities. And not just their abilities over their disabilities, but rather where we advocate for a world where we recognize and welcome both ability and disability as one informs the other. Jayshar Banks is only 21 years old, but in sharing his story, he leaves us with a profound message of hope and resilience. His young life has already served as a testament to the idea that no obstacle is insurmountable and that there are many different paths to a meaningful life and every challenge is an opportunity for introspection and personal growth. Thank you, Shar, for sharing the beginning of your new journey with us. We can all renew our sense of purpose, and like Shar, we too can make a lasting impact on the world by pursuing our dreams and supporting other people along the journey and being of service to others as an integral part of the journey. Stay tuned for more incredible stories and insights on spinal cord injury heroes and innovators in future episodes in the Dear Louise series of our podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye, We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. 
Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, blinkofaneyepodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.